Good morning, Rock Hill Church. Hey, that wasn't too bad. Um, man, it's... Uh, Sometimes it can be difficult to come up and begin to share after we, we worship like that. Um, good, good worship is it's kind of two things. It accomplishes two purpose, purposes for us. First, good worship is confessional, right? Because sometimes the words that we sing don't reflect the truth of what's currently in our hearts, right? So when we worship, we worship even though the things that we say aren't true yet, and so we worship in light of that. And at times, good worship is also aspirational in that way. We sing in songs, we sing the songs of hope of the way we want things to be in us. And so when you, we, when you worship, I, I hope that you take those things with you. You take, you take confession and aspiration both when you worship. And take it as God's grace to you that you worship amongst a community of believers that's in the same place as you are with those things that we both confess and we aspire when we worship. Um, Jim asked me to share on a very small thing today, a, a thing called Sabbath. And much like when Jim normally asks me to teach, it's not normally just, hey, here's two verses, and I just really want you to take a significant amount of time and unpack them. It's usually like, well, here's like three chapters, if you could just come kind of summarize and pull some nuggets of truth out. And so, honestly, um, when he first sent the email and said, here's something that I want you to put your, your mind and your, your heart to, I was a little upset um, when I got to reading and, and looked that he actually did assign me Sabbath. I had to go back to it three times in the email and make sure the writing was, was accurate because um, I'll be honest with you, Sabbath is very hard for me. And so in preparing to, to be with you this morning, it was really a journey, a lot of, in a lot of ways, a journey of desperation. And it made me come to grips with a lot of ugly realities in, in my own life concerning Sabbath. And so when I share with you this morning, I don't share with you as an expert when it comes to Sabbath. I don't share with you as one who has Sabbath figured out. And even right now, as one who has a healthy rhythm of Sabbath. Um, I share with you as one who's learning with you. And so um, if we think about life with Jesus in terms of a journey that we're on, or a hike, if you will, know that I'm probably halfway to the next campsite ahead of you. It's about as far as I am on this journey. And only because I've looked at the map a little more closely. So please take, please give me some grace this morning as we walk through. And I pray, I pray that you would um, give yourself the same grace as much as you can, even though that's God's ultimate job to give us grace, that you can just lean into this. Um, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 20. We're going to spend time primarily there, and then we'll look a little bit further on in Exodus, and then in Matthew's gospel in chapter 5. Exodus is the second book in, in the Bible, and so if the Bible is new to you, there's a copy close to you, and I invite you to find it. Genesis is the first book, and the next book you come to will be Exodus. It's important that we kind of start there because Exodus is really when God's people recover the identity that they were given at creation. And so we see in the book of Exodus where God has his special people Israel and they had spent about 400 years in bondage, the good portion of it. And then God uses the man Moses to lead them out, a deliverer. And he leads them out in a really magnificent way. And if you were with us earlier this year, we covered that in some pretty good detail. God's 
deliverance of, of his people. And so here in Exodus, we're right on the heels when God is giving the Ten Commandment Commandments or the Ten Words to the people. They are just figuring out their identity again. And so this is kind of brand new information in a lot of ways. Um, they're getting this re-education in what it means to be God's people. Like I said, they were in exile or in captivity, not exile, but captivity for 400 years. They were a slave people with a slave identity. And for, for the people of Israel at this time, their slavery was societal, right? It was just part of who they were. It was part of their society. And while our slavery today isn't societal, it's potentially more insidious because the slavery that we live with emanates from the inside out. And so sometimes, and I'm speaking specifically about Sabbath, but our slavery to, to our taskmasters is more insidious because it comes from the inside. And a lot of times the values that we hold up is people who live in the West, who live in America, run counter to this identity, this God-formed identity that God would have us lead, lean into. You see, um, this is important because our culture in the West tells us that things, people, and even creation itself only has value as far as it has utility for us. Things, people, and even creation only has value in, as far as it has utility, only if it's useful in some way. We are a, a people that often uses other people. We use them for our purposes, whether they be physical in nature, whether they be centered on our advancement, whether they be centered on our financial well-being. We use people. Uh, we use creation in the same way. Is this good? Can I pull something out of this ground to make it good to use? Can I build something on this piece of ground to make it useful for me? Now, make no mistake, there's a certain part of our identity as, as those who were made in the image of God that we were to tame creation, we were to exercise dominion over it, we were to subdue it, right, and, and make it fulfill its, its intended purpose, which was for beauty in a lot of ways and reflect the glory of God. And so there's a management there that's involved. But oftentimes we use creation not, not for any purpose other than its utility. You see, in... In deference or defiance of that, Sabbath tells us that things, people, and creation have value because of their mere existence. People, things, and even creation have value because of their mere existence. And everything that we see was made and has value not merely for what it produces, but also for its pure appreciation and enjoyment. Things have value not for only their use, but because... They're there to be appreciated and enjoyed. Why is all of that important and what does that have to do with Sabbath? Um, in preparation for, for our time today, I, I listened to a book by a man named Mark Buchanan called The Rest of God. And I really commend that to you if you're looking for a resource to help you kind of understand Sabbath a little bit more. And as I was driving around, I've spent a lot of time driving in the last little while. Um, I was on my way down to Iola, Kansas on Wednesday. I spoke at their um, FCA gathering, the big thing they did at the football stadium. It was super cool. Um, and I was humbled that they asked me to come down and, and do that. Uh, but there was a moment when I was driving down and listening to this book that I had to pull a car over and just sit with what I'd heard and replay it again. And then I just began to weep and spent about the next 20 minutes just broken on the side of the road between here and Garnett um, because of what I heard. And and this is what I heard that Buchanan said. He said, 
One measure for whether or not you've rested enough, besides falling asleep in a meeting, is to ask yourself this question. How many have been there, right? <laughs> Fall asleep in a meeting or in class, right? One measure of whether or not you're rested enough is to ask yourself this. How much do I care about the things I care about? When we lose concern for people, both the lost and the found, when we lose concern for the bride of Christ, for friendship, for truth and beauty and goodness, when we cease to laugh when our children laugh and instead yell at them to quiet down, when we cease to weep when our spouses weep and instead wish they didn't get so emotional. When we hear news of trouble among our neighbors and our first thought is that we hope it's not going to involve us. When we stop caring about the things we care about, that's a signal that we're too busy. We've let ourselves be consumed by the things that feed our ego but starve our soul. Busyness kills the heart. And I don't know how that sits with you this morning, but when I reflected on the words that, that Mark Buchanan said as I was driving down, down the road, I realized that I was being killed in my soul. When we talked about not laughing when your children laugh, and we talked about not weeping when your spouse weeps, when he talked about not caring um, about the conflicts or the struggles that your friends and your neighbors go to, and you see all of those things as more of a burden than a blessing and more of an obstacle than God's invitation for you to be involved with him in his work, then I realized, man, I have a significant busyness problem. Right now I'm being killed in my soul. And friends, my encouragement to you today, and really I hope the reason I'm here, is to encourage you that Sabbath is not only, po- not only possible, but it's necessary. Sabbath isn't only possible, but it's necessary. I hope that you would see Sabbath is not a burden, but a blessing. You see, friends, when we practice Sabbath in a rhythm, we're assigned to an unbelieving world that our worth and value isn't measured by what we accomplish and create, but rather our worth and value rests in the one who created all things. And in addition to that, Sabbath is a discipline reminder that we aren't God. It's a discipline reminder that we, we need that rest. So a couple questions for you to consider as we move through the message this morning. Number one, what is your primary obstacle to Sabbath? What's your primary obstacle to Sabbath? I'm going to take a, I'm going to venture a guess. Possibly it's because you've allowed your calendar to dictate what you do rather than you dictating to your calendar what you do. And I'm going to venture a guess that for some of you, if it's true of you like it was for me, you, you allow that to happen because you allow a lot of your worth to be measured by people's need of you. Right? You feel good when you have a lot of appointments on your calendar. Right? You feel like you're valuable if a lot of people need time with you. Question number two. What are you attempting to replace Sabbath with? You see, Sabbath, um, literally, and we'll talk about this a little more, the word means to cease. It means just to stop doing stuff. Just quit, right? Just stop. It means to rest. And we rest because it's good, and we're, we, we're called to confront and to enjoy when we rest. And, and my guess is that some of you are replacing Sabbath with something because you don't like the quiet. You don't like the quiet. You, maybe, maybe even for you, it's because you feel like you're not valuable if you're not producing something at every second of the day. So what are you attempting to replace Sabbath with? And finally, what needs to be reordered in your life so that Sabbath is a priority? 
When you look at your life, what do you need to reorder so that Sabbath becomes a priority? I was talking to Stephanie um, before we started this morning, and we were both kind of commiserating with each other that um, the truth and the necessity of the reality that when you say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. When you say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. And so the question with that is, what's your best yes? What's the best yes that you can give? All right, let's kind of continue to dive in here this morning. I just want to draw your attention to Exodus chapter 20 this morning. And we're going to look at verse 8 because that's where we find the first, um, the first time we hear this, these words in Scripture. Um, we see the word rest earlier in Genesis 2, but this is where God lays it out for Moses. Remember to dedicate the Sabbath day. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your man, or female slave, your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he declared it holy. So we're going to talk about today, first of all, what Sabbath is. And Sabbath literally means to cease and to stop. And in Genesis 2, we see that. We see that God made the heavens and the earth. He made everything that we see. And then He rested. He literally ceased working. And God rested. It's important to note here that God rested not out of necessity, not because He was tired. Alright? He rested um, to enjoy what He created and to give us an example to follow. So when you read the Genesis account, you see that God rested. He says over and over in Genesis 1 and 2, he says, God made this and he saw that it was good. God made this and he saw that it was good. God made this and he saw that it was very good, right? Very good and good, right? And then it says that he ceased, that he Sabbathed. And he enjoyed what he, that, what he created. Friends, listen, we are called to do the same things. We were made in the image of God. Amen? We were made in his image to reflect him back to himself and to reflect him to each other. And we were re- made to relate. We were made to relate to God, to have a relationship with him and to have a relationship with each other. And part of that image we were made in is to be creators, to exercise dominion, to, to show what God is like by the things that we put our hands to each day. And those are all very good. But God did rest to enjoy what he made. And I love that it says that God rested here. But over in Exodus 31, God talks about Sabbath a lot here in Exodus. And so as you read through that, and I encourage you to do so, you'll see it comes up over and over. But this is pretty pretty cool. In Exodus 31, um, there's another word that's added to this. And I think we have it. Here we go. Verse 14. Observe the Sabbath, for it's holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. That's pretty serious. Right? If anyone does work on it, that person must be cut off from his people. For six days work must be done, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who does work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. And man, he tells us again. Verse 16, the Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It's a sign forever between me and the Israelites. And here's the important part. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when I read that I went, wow, like what does it mean that that God was refreshed? Like we understand what it means for for us to be refreshed. So I did some, some deeper diving and literally the word means that God took a holy breath. That he took like a throat breath is what it, what it says in, in Hebrew. That God breathed with his throat. 
That he saw, he stopped and he took a breath. And so the, the phrase that I'm giving to that is a pause of holy satisfaction. That God took a pause of holy satisfaction. And church, I wonder how much of our frustration and our dissatisfaction comes from our failure or our oversight of simply taking a break to pause, breathe, and take satisfaction in a job well done. When you finish something, do you, do you pause? When you cease laboring, like at the end of your day, or moms, when you get your kids out the door to school, or when you, if, you, if you educate them at home, when you finish an assignment with them, or they do a craft, or even when you get lunch cleaned up, right? Do you stop and just pause and take a breath? And ah, that's a job well done. Students, when you finish an assignment, when you turn something in, do you take a pause? Do you stop and say, that was a job well done? If you're, if you're in the arts, when you, when you have a performance, do you pause at the end and stop and just a moment and take a breath in, in a job well done? I also wonder if our failure to Sabbath or to cease well comes from a dissatisfaction to what we put our, in what we put our hands to the other six days of the week. Remember that you were made, you were made in the image of God and He endowed you with gifts and abilities to serve Him and serve others with. And I'm wondering if you're, you're failing to Sabbath because you're not rightly exercising your gifts and abilities. So you look at your work and you're frustrated because you know it wasn't your best work. And there's something else that you'd rather put your hands to. And maybe that's why you're having a difficult time Sabbath. Or maybe for you it's the other side of the coin. Maybe you can't Sabbath well because you look back and you recognize that you were slothful and lazy in the work that you put your hands to. And so you can't sit in satisfaction with a job well done. And either, either way, whether it's you're not rightly exercising your gifts and abilities or because you're being slothful and lazy, both instances are potentially an adulteration of God's original intent for you. God made you to, to work and to work beautifully. You were saved, as, as uh, Paul tells us in his letters, you were saved unto good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You see, there's work to be done in this relationship that we have with God. We don't work to earn any kind of standing with the Lord, but we work in light of who we already are. It's like we tell our kids, all five of them, right? Oh, man. Um, hey, guys, listen. There's certain things that need to happen because you live in this house, right? You, you do them because you're part of the family. That's why you work. You're here and these things have to happen. And, and there's a certain part of that in the family of God as well. We work in light of who we are and how God made us. And we should be able to pause and take satisfaction in that. And I, would, I just want to give us some space. Jim did this a little earlier, but I want to let us practice again. I want you to just take a moment and just, let's, just breathe with me. Can you, can you do that? This isn't weird. We're not going to do yoga, even though I don't think that's bad, right? Okay, just, just breathe with me. Come on, just breathe like this. I want you to do it again. Let's go. Come on. Now just take a second, and I just want you to think about your week for a minute. I want you to look back at everything that you put your hands to. And I want you to pick one or a handful of things and just be thankful that you had a job well done there. Think about someone that you spent time with this week. A conversation, maybe a time when you were encouraging to somebody. When you left them and they smile, right? Not because you're leaving, but because of the conversation, right? <laughs> 
trust me, I've had some of those too. Like, I left and they're like, thank God that guy's gone, right? But just, just take a moment of thankfulness and of a job well done there. Maybe it was a project at work. Maybe it was something nobody else even saw. Maybe it was an email that you sent that you know solved the problem. Just be thankful for a job well done there. Be thankful for a job well done. It's interesting to me that when you look at Exodus, where we see the Ten Commandments, and then in Deuteronomy, which literally means God's telling us again, means second telling of the law. So God's, hey, listen, you're going to hear this again. Um, He repeats these Ten Commandments, and the difference between what we see about the Sabbath um, being told in Exodus, and then you can look at it on on your own time in Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Exodus, God's telling of the Sabbath, or command of the Sabbath, is reminding them of their identity, of their creation. He says, remember that this is why you were made. But when you read in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is telling them to remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. You're doing this because you were once captive. In in Exodus, he says, you're doing this because of who you were created to be. And in Deuteronomy, he says, you're doing this to remind yourselves that you're no longer slaves. You see, in Exodus, we hear about Sabbath as creation. In Deuteronomy, it's liberation. In Exodus, it's Eden. In Deuteronomy, it's remember Egypt. In Exodus, it's imitation of God. In Deuteronomy, it's deliverance. In Exodus, God tells us to look up. In Deuteronomy, he tells us to look back. In Exodus, he tells us to think about his character. And in Deuteronomy, he tells us to think about his redemption. In Exodus, he tells us to remember that we're his children. In Deuteronomy, he tells us to remember that we're nobody's chattel and we're nobody's slave anymore. In Exodus, he tells us to, to come with him in this invitation. And in Deuteronomy, he issues us a warning of what happens if we ever forget that we're not slaves anymore. You see, all of this stuff has implications for Sabbath because we remember who we were made to be and who we're no longer slaves of anymore. And I wonder if we don't rest, if, we, if one of the consequences of not resting is we forget who we really are. And we revert, we revert to being slaves again. A while ago when I was with you and we talked about God's provision in Exodus. And, and one of the questions I asked of us is if, I wonder if we're not entering into God's provision because we haven't prepared for it yet. We're not prepared to enter God's provision in the land of promise because we haven't made preparation to do it when we're in the land of wilderness. And sometimes, friends, I wonder if we're, not, if we're not resting well because we're still living in this slave mentality. Friends, in Sabbath, and, and this definition comes from Mark Buchanan. He, I love how he says this. He says, in Sabbath, we cease what is necessary, embrace that which gives life, and then do what we want. If you're writing things down, that would be a great thing for you to write down. Embrace what is necessary, or sorry, cease what is necessary, embrace that which gives life, and then do what we want. So what does that mean? We need to stop doing what we ought to do in Sabbath. You need to quit doing what you ought to do. The only thing you must do is not to do the things that you must do. (laughs) Now, for some of you, again, do what you want to do, though. I remember one time Jim was talking about how he loves to mow the lawn, right? That's like Sabbath for him, just to mow the lawn. I look at mowing the lawn, I'm like, that is death to me, right? So for Jim, while that's Sabbath, that is not Sabbath for me. All right, I do my best to redeem that time, but I kind of have a rule. I don't mow the lawn on the weekend. I just, I'm not going to do it because it's not restful to me. 
So if it's gnarly on Friday, bro, it's going to be gnarly on Monday. All right? That's just how it's going to be, right? And I'll get to it during the week. Because I'm not doing it on the weekend. Because that is not Sabbath for me. But you need to stop doing what's necessary. Embrace the things that give life and then do what you want to do. What do what you want to do. You need to embrace the things that give you life. You cease creating and begin enjoying what you create. Because the truth is we need recreating after all of our creating. You realize that, right? Because creating can be exhausting for us mortals. It's exhausting. Rearing children, and I just see the evidence of it. My wife, is she's a crazy person, right? She's with those little monsters, those you know, heathens all day long. And, and I come home and I'm like, do you want to like leave here for like several hours right now? Because I know I would. <laughs> you've, you've been creating life in them all day, every day. And so I get it if you want some time to go be recreated now. We spend a lot of time creating and we need recreating. And then I love that he says, then do what you want. In Corinthians, Paul reminds us that all things are ours in Christ. That all things belong to us. And he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. I think sometimes we have a hard time Sabbathing also because we forget that our God is a really good dad. He's a really good dad. Um, our kids, this is, this is great. So last year, they, um, they wanted a trampoline. All right? And I'm kind of... I'm on a team no trampoline just because I'd have to move it when I mow the lawn. Um, kids break stuff on the trampoline. Uh, they fall. I just think, man, someday we're going to move from this place. I'm going to have to like take this thing down and move. Like, just I'm team no trampoline, like in my heart. But they were, they were like their team pro trampoline, right? And so I, I issued the ultimate dad challenge. I was like, listen, you want the trampoline, you're going to have to pay for it yourself. And so they were like, all right. So literally they pulled their money, the minuscule amount of resources that I give them, and they went down on the front of our yard and they made cookies and hot chocolate and set up like a cookie hot chocolate stand last fall, right? And I just failed. To, and then they were smart. They did two things that were really brilliant. First thing they did is they called their grandfather. And they said, <laughs> they said, Papa, we're setting up this cookie stand because we want to buy a trampoline. And then he did something really foolish. He said, whatever you make at your cookie, your cookie hot chocolate stand, I'll match it. And he thought he was like, off, he, he's like, oh yeah, they're going to make like 20 bucks or something, right? So they rolled down there, and I, he didn't know this, and I forgot, like we live around a bunch of old people, all right? Um, we, there's a widow lady that lives next door to us. There's an older couple that lives two doors down. And so my old, my old neighbors see my cute kids. And they're, you know, when there's a lot of something, they can be kind of cute, right? So they're like all down there. And um, they, they roll, the neighbors come walking by. And uh, the kids were, they, were, they weren't gouging people. They were selling it like 50 cents a cup, you know, a, a quarter a cookie. And so my neighbor lady next door rolls over there. And she gets, one, she gets one cup of hot chocolate and five cookies and throws a 20 down and is like, keep the change, right? And so then the neighbors like a couple doors down roll over and they do about the same thing and drop like, end up dropping like 50 bucks on them, right? <laughs> and then a couple other people come by and buy a normal amount of cookies and, and hot chocolate. So in an hour, they made $125. <laughs> In an hour, right? In one hour. So then I call, they called their grandpa and they're like, Papa, we, we finished. He's like, well, already? Like, how much? He's like, we made $125. 
And so then I'm like, hey, Don, when are you sending the check, right? So he sends them a check, so then they're rolling fat with like 250 and change, you know? And then Black Friday comes, and then it's on like Donkey Kong, right? They're scouring the ads, and they find this trampoline, and they settle on the trampoline. And so they buy it, and then so early December last year, I went and picked it up, and Levi and I put the trampoline together. And now, um, it's so much joy to me to see them jumping and playing on this thing that they created. And then they rest in the sunshine, and they read books on their trampoline. And they roll around, and they just enjoy the work that they put their hands to. And friends, that's Sabbath. That's Sabbath when we enjoy the fruit of our labor. And we just rest in the goodness that it is. And me as their father, I take joy in their joy. And nothing pleases my heart more than to see them sitting in the sunshine, reading books on the trampling that they created. <laughs> that they put their, their hands to every day. Friends, we have a Father also that wants us to rest in the sunshine and feel His glory and to feel His joy. And I know for some of you that hits you wrong. It hits me wrong. It did for a long time because I didn't have a God. I didn't have a Father that wanted me to feel His joy. It didn't please His heart for me to rest in His sunshine. And so if that's, if that's you today, I want to tell you that you do have a Father that wants you to feel His joy and to rest in a job well done. So what are some threats to Sabbath that we encounter? Well, I think that there are two primary, primarily. One is an ancient threat and one's a modern threat. The ancient threat that Jesus spent most of his time dealing with was the threat of legalism, right? That was a threat to Sabbath that Jesus encountered. See, if we treat Sabbath as merely another rule to keep, then it does become death to us. And as Jesus said, we'll become whitewashed tombs. And, and with that, listen, anytime that you, you feel somebody should on you, then that's evidence that that's a legalism that you need to shy away from. Don't let anybody should on you. Alright? Well, you should do this, and you should do that, and you should do this. I'm like, man, just don't shoot on me anymore. Hey? That's what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus over and over again, and to the people. Should do this, you should do this. And he says, y'all are straining out gnats, and you're gulping down camels. And you are like whitewashed tombs. You look gleaming white on the outside, but inside you're filled with dead man's bones. And when you treat Sabbath as another rule to keep then you're living in the middle of that. And the remedy for that is relationship with Jesus. The remedy for legalism is relationship. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But what I want to spend more time on is the modern threat that we have to Sabbath. And I think it comes in two forms. Hurry and worry. Our modern threats to Sabbath are hurry and worry. What does hurry look like? We know. Hurry looks like busyness. Being frantic. Hurry looks like a lack of margin in your life. Do you know you were, you were made for margin? Do you know that? To have space. To be unhurried. To be unbusy. If you read any Eugene Peterson, he, he talks a lot, especially in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, about being unhurried and unbusy. To be available to people and to relationships. And friends, you should have margin in your life for that, for to be inconvenienced. The reason why we don't have depth of relationship and sometimes we have a hard time seeing where God is active and to join Him is because we have no margin. We fill up our every day so that we can't be bothered by anybody anymore. We don't have that. But secondly, 
we deal with worry. And worry comes in a few forms. First is distraction. Oh, friends, it's, we live in a distraction-oriented culture. We have messages and media coming at us all the time. We can't leave it. We can't leave it. Technology. Also, worry takes the form of anxiousness. You know what anxiousness is? It's misplaced meditation. I had a conversation with somebody once, and they said, I don't know how to meditate. And I said, do you know how to worry? And they're like, oh, yeah. I said, then you know how to meditate, because that's just misplaced meditation. It's worry. When you're anxious, when you worry, it draws you away from Sabbath. Anxiousness is meditating on things we don't have the ability to affect change over. Do you do that? You just pour something over and over in your mind. You're like, well, can you change that situation? Then why are you, why, what, why are you worrying about it? If you can't affect change in that situation, then you just have to like, give that thing away. Give that thing away. Another form of worry is faithlessness. It's trying to do God's job for Him. Some of you have a hard time Sabbathing because you think that you're the Lord of the universe. And those things that you really don't have any power to change, you still worry about them because you think you can't change it even though you can't. That's faithlessness. Last time I checked, friends, there wasn't a vacancy in the Trinity. Even though those of us who are baptistic in nature act like the Holy Spirit isn't real at times, there's still not a vacancy there. Now, I will admit there's a dichotomy, right? Because in Sabbath, we imitate God who rested. We imitate Him, so we stop trying to be Him. We imitate, so we stop trying to do His job for Him. And the remedy for our modern problems or threats to Sabbath is to live in rhythm. And I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about recovering Sabbath in in rhythm. So how do we recover Sabbath? We have to fight for it. It's a war. It's a war. Every day, you have to give your life to fighting for, for Sabbath. How do you do it? I think that there are kind of a few levels to it. First, we recover Sabbath as a day of the week. All right. Traditionally, our, uh, the Jews saw Sabbath as sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. That was their Sabbath. Um, in our house, we, our Sabbath typically is around Friday to sometime on Saturday as well. You know what my favorite Sabbath moment in my house is? is Saturday morning. Our Saturday morning, morning rhythm looks almost I- ideally the same regardless of, of when it happens. And it looks like this. We kind of we get up and try and get up kind of quickly. And we get the kids ready and then we drive to the Overland Park Farmer's Market which is close to our house. And we, um, and man, we're, we're like Johnson County picture perfect kid, like family when we walk in there, right? There's all five of them and they're usually happy and they're holding hands and they get their activity books and they're like talking to all the vendors and we're buying meats and eggs and vegetables for the day and then we buy coffee at a coffee cart and we just enjoy being there. Our kids get honey sticks when they do their activity and it's great. We just kind of linger and then we drive home and we stop at a little meat market. Um, It's called the Wiener Wagon. It's awesome. They have the best bacon in the world, all right? And we buy, we buy bacon there, and then we go home and we make sourdough waffles, uh, homemade sourdough waffles, and then I, make, then I cover it with homemade elderberry maple syrup, and we bask in the glory of God. The God who made elderberries, and who gave us the ability to have sourdough, and who gave me my beautiful wife and my, my five kids, and we just ease into our day. We ease into our day. You see, we don't have to do that. We get to do it. We get to do it. 
So I encourage you to find a day of the week for you like that where you can just recover the things that give you life. And in that same book, Buchanan talks about, and he's quoting another writer here, that says that Sabbath lays claim to the other six days of the week. Because we spend three days remembering Sabbath, and then we spend three days preparing for Sabbath. Sabbath lays claim to the other six days of the week in that way. Sometimes for you, Sabbath means a need to escape. Um, one thing Jessica and I talk about a lot is, I was preparing for this morning, I, I said, hey, help me as we... I'm, teaching what do we need to do and how do we talk about this with other people and and she says you know what I have a hard time with is in Sabbath is man the house doesn't stop right when we eat food then there are dishes to do and sometimes that's not life-giving to me to do dishes um, when we're here and it's good it creates a lot of mess right um, she talks about how the kids bring the outside in with them right the dirt and the everything that comes along with having five tiny humans right and they bring it in with them all the time and their stuff gets everywhere and she says that's not very restful for me and so sometimes we escape we just leave things like last Sunday we we got home and um, we escaped to the Arboretum in Overland Park and we just took a walk we spent two hours just walking around outside uh, letting the kids do whatever they wanted to do and we left the things at home to be at home for a while and that was good. It was life-giving to us. You need to recover Sabbath not just as a day, but also as a moment. So I'll give you an exercise here. I encourage you to pause at the end of the day and ask yourself a couple questions. Look back on your day and ask what gave you life that day. What gave, what gave you life today? Look back and reflect on when you were most alive and when God seemed close to you. And at the same time, at the end of your day, ask, look back and ask, what caused death in you that day? When were you empty and when, God, when did God seem far away from you that day? It will help you incorporate Sabbath into um, your every day. And also, man, for some of you that are in the midst of the throes of life with kids and with family and with work and with obligations, and you take an honest look at your calendar and you say, Matt, I don't really see a lot of hope on the horizon for me. With Sabbath, I'm, I desire it, and we're going to plan for it, but right now I don't see a lot of hope ahead. Here's my encouragement to you. You find your Sabbath in that cup of coffee in the morning, just to take a breath and stop. You know, you don't have to do four things at the same time. People make fun of me because I make my coffee really slow. And I have like six different ways to make coffee really slow in my house. And some of you have been to my house, so you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of ways Matt can make coffee very slow. Why is this taking so long? Um, I shave with a straight razor because it's very slow. I, I, I can't do that quickly. It takes time. Find things to do. Where, you know, I don't have to read six emails while I'm trying to make my coffee. I don't have to respond to seven text messages while I'm shaving. It can wait. So find these moments where you can just do the thing that you're doing at right that moment. Um, Jessica told me there's a, a, a great book called Teaching from Rest, written by Sarah McKenzie. And in that book, she, she echoes that and says, you know, when you're cooking pasta, just cook the pasta. You don't, you don't have to put it on the Instagram, right? You don't have to take a picture of everything you eat. Like, just make the frickin' pasta. When you're with your family, you can just be with your family. And listen, I, I struggle with that. It's hard for me. Because I like to do lots of stuff all the time. 
And I, I'm justified in it. Like, life is short. You've heard me give you that talk before. You only have so many days left. Mine today is 13,940. That's how many days I have left. I know. And I'm like, this is the one life, bro. You've got to get after it, right? You've got to make it happen. So I feel that. I feel that. That's my default. Default aggressive. Get some. Like, get, make it do it, right? And so Sabbath is hard. But whatever you're doing, just do that thing. But find your Sabbath in that cup of coffee or in that guacamole or in that Italian sausage or in the World Series. Find your Sabbath in that. Take joy in the God who made baseball and Italian sausage. Praise the Lord, right? Cultivate Sabbath by enjoying God's good gifts, not just for their functionality only, but for the joy that they give. The laughter of our children and rays of sunshine. The unscheduled and unasked for love of your spouse. And you do schedule that stuff too, man. Do it. You got to. But take joy in the things that just happen because they happen. And laugh. Laugh at when life doesn't go the way that you planned it to go. When the craft doesn't come off the right way. Right? When the pasta boils over. Take Sabbath joy in that. Abandon utilitarian necessity for a lavishly extravagant Sabbath. When I think about God's desire for us in Sabbath, I think about abundance and provision instead of scarcity and lack. You know, there should be times when, our, when we Sabbath, when we kind of look at ourselves and be like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, this seems like a little too much. And like, amen, right? <laughs> Laugh at yourself in the middle of it. So yesterday, even so, uh, we looked at, Jessica and I sat down and we looked at our calendar and I asked her, what are, what are the things that give you joy during a week? Like, when you think about your week, what are things that would, you would like to see happen that give you life? And so she gave me a few things, and she asked me the same thing. Well, what gives you life? And I said, well, you know, I, man, I need to do this at least a few times a week for me. And then we asked, asked that about our month. Okay, when we think about a month, I asked it for her and for me, and then we thought about our family. What are things that give us life during the week? What about once a month? What are things that would give you life, give me life? And some of it can be ridiculous. Like me, man, listen, I'm going to get my hair cut every three weeks. You laugh, and it's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's dumb to pay $25 for someone to cut a man's hair. I get it, right? But it's life-giving to me. It brings me joy. For Jessica, she had a few things like that, and I'm not going to apologize for it anymore because I feel so much better because of it. And we looked at our quarter, like every quarter, what's one thing, some things our family needs to do to Sabbath. Every year, what do you need to do to Sabbath? But most importantly, the most important thing we do for Sabbath is to recover it in relationship with Jesus. And over in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus is dealing with the people who are really mired up in legalism when it comes to Sabbath, he said this. He said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. All of you, not some, right? Hey, some of you, I know that you who are lesser than, you have a problem and you need me. No, he said, all of you. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just want to kind of give you one last challenge. For some of you, the reason you aren't resting is because you're attempting to find ultimate rest in things that will never satisfy you. I don't want to presume that all of you are followers of Jesus, that you're Christians today. 
And when you think about your life and you're thinking about the things that you're striving after that you hope will bring you joy, I just want to challenge you that those things will be ultimately unfulfilling outside of a relationship with Jesus. Because He's the only one that can give you ultimate rest. So when you think about those things that you're pursuing for rest, it could be you're completely unfulfilled and unresting because you weren't made to rest in those things. You were made to rest in relationship with Jesus. Those other things will be death to you outside of relationship with Jesus. There's a couple takeaways for you today and then I'll be done. First, I encourage you to take a breath, just like I, we did at the beginning of this. At least once a day, the end of your day. Maybe with you and your, your, your spouse on the couch, right? Just breathe and tell each other, man, I, I'm really satisfied in this thing that I did today. Like I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself that I did it. I'm thankful for it, that I got to put my hands to it. What are you thankful for today? Like, what did you do today that you can be satisfied that you had a job well done? Take a breath and then just glory in the God who gave you the opportunity to be involved with Him and His work in that way. Just take joy in that thing that you created today. Friends, listen, sometimes it's really hard to find things that we take joy in in life, right? So you've got to fight for that like a discipline, like every day. Secondly, fight for Sabbath. Look at your calendar and fight for that. Find that 24-hour window of time every day. And the reason why that's important, friends, is if we can't Sabbath now, we'll never rest with Jesus in eternity. What do you think Sabbath is? It's a preparation for the time that will be with Jesus forever. It reminds us, it points us, we look back, yes, at who we were made to be and what we were delivered from, but we also look forward to what's coming. And so fight for Sabbath that you would have a weekly reminder of what's coming. Of what's ahead. It's that important. And if we can't Sabbath now, we'll never Sabbath with Jesus later. And that's too important. It's worth too much. And finally, run to Jesus for your ultimate rest. Whatever that thing is you're trying to find rest in, Walk away from it. Cease doing that to rest in Jesus instead. Don't rest in your career and what you create and that relationship and that diploma and that job. Don't rest in those things. Rest in Jesus and run to Him. Run to Him. worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us just in a time of response and listen I don't know how this message is is spoken to you today it could be about Sabbath it could be about something else I know for me sometimes when I just simply put myself in a position to hear from the Lord I say God I'm here speak to me yeah the guy up there's talking and it's fine and, and good but God's dealing with something else in my life and so that could be you this morning And so we're just going to provide space for you to deal with those things that God is working in you and through you about. And so this this is a bunch of carpet and a little bit of metal and plastic, but it's an altar when you make it that way. And so however it is that God is dealing with you, if you'd like to come forward and and pray, um, I encourage you to do that. Um, If you'd like someone to pray with you or for you, I think Jim will be standing in the back and maybe some others, and they'd love to spend some time praying with you or for you. I'll be sitting here at the front. Um, if you'd like me to pray with you or for you, I'd love, I'd love to do that. Um, but whatever it is that God is speaking to you about, let's, let's not um, waste this opportunity to do some work with them. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for an invitation to Sabbath to stop doing things. To cease doing the things that we must do and embrace the things that give life and then do what we want. What an invitation. God, I pray that you would um, selfishly help me to Sabbath because I'm bad at it. I'm really bad at it. Um, Help me. Help me to take joy in the laughter of my children. Help me to have space to weep when my wife weeps. God, to not see my neighbor's lives as an inconvenience to mine, but as an invitation to be involved with you. We thank you, Jesus, for your good work in us and through us. And we pray we be aware, more aware, of those opportunities. It's in your name we pray. Amen.